getting this in the next day or two, the newsletter, if you're not already getting it, we can take your address and get it out to you. But uh, this is, um, it's on the title, this is How Many Times Do I Need to Forgive? So I think you'll uh, enjoy this and maybe get something out of it to uh, help your spiritual journey. So uh, we're going to get into Exodus 30 here, and it's talking about the incense, and we'll probably... Let me read through some of this in chapter 30 and then we'll uh, go some other places in the scripture to define really what God's trying to say to us here. So uh, we welcome all you that are with us live and those of you who'll get this podcast sometime this week or whatever will come back and watch us on YouTube. Chapter 30, verse 1 of Exodus. Uh, it says, uh, you shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, a cubit. Its width, it shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay its top and its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. You shall make it for the molding of gold all around. Now, <clears throat> there's a balance to, I don't know how to say this, but when I went to... Uh, Tegucigalpa, which is basically the capital of Honduras. Uh, when I was in Tegucigalpa, there were poor people everywhere. Uh, some of them in front of these huge, elaborate churches. And you could go in some of these churches, and a lot of stuff in there was overlaid with gold and very, very exquisite. Um, and it seemed, it felt weird, right? I mean, to see a guy right outside those church doors on blocks of wood on his knees, and that's how he traveled through the city, somehow crippled. And then early that morning, we saw him in front of this church. And then later that evening, we saw him, somehow he'd made it across town and was in front of the other church. Uh, of the two we saw Somehow that don't, it feels awkward, right? You know, to see the whole back wall covered in gold and somebody out in front who's struggling to eat, possibly. Uh, but then when you go to the scripture, <clears throat> here comes this lady who most theologians believe what the value was not the box, right? We think the value is the box, who we are and how talented we are. The world's seen people like us before, <laughs> Uh, but what's valuable is what the Lord's done inside of us. The value's inside, right? Um, so she breaks the box, dumps all that on him. Somebody, Judas, somebody's back there having a discussion about how wasteful that was, right? And um, the fragrance filled the room, the incense of the smell of that. And then Jesus addresses that. And he said something that we, a lot of our culture would think is harsh. They were saying, hey, we should have sold that and helped the poor out. Of course, the guy that was admonishing that was a thief. He wanted to get the money in the bag so he could skim it. You know, Judas was a thief. But Jesus said, you got the poor with you always. You know, she's doing the right thing here. Dumping a whole year's worth of wages on his body. 
So it comes back to the heart, right? I mean, there's got to be some kind of balance to the fact that we should give God our very best. We shouldn't withhold anything from Him. But then that brother in need, right? I mean, there's got to be a balance of that. So when you get to heaven, we probably won't see metal buildings. You won't see any blacktop. Even you'll see streets out of gold. God's worth all that. He's worth the majesty and all we bring him. But somehow there's got to be the right heart, right? I think our heart is the mix for everything, right? You've got to have your heart right. So, uh, you know, God should get our very best, whatever that looks like. But uh, somehow... I think I may have shared this in one circle where I read an article like a couple of months ago about um, a church that had uh, an organized from years in, in Europe that had, I think they had $30 billion banked. And that seems, that don't feel right either, right? But they were moving their funds because they didn't agree with something, you know, out there. Um uh, and instead of, I, I went, I, this raised my curiosity, so I went to their website and I saw the first thing they wanted to know about somebody was not whether they knew Jesus Christ or whether they had uh, a relationship with him. They, wanted, they gave you a way to tell what your carbon footprint was. That was their concern. And that article was about, that was why they moved their money, because they didn't like the funds that were carbon producers, I guess. And somehow along the way, we lost the heart of the matter, didn't we? We really did. And now some churches are just nothing more than big conglomerates that try to keep their system in place. And that's what happened to the Pharisees, right? We're not so self-righteous to think that some of those Pharisees, they started off loving God. I mean, they, they believed, you know, they became corrupt over time. And the reason they rejected Jesus in part was because he was going to break up the system. He was teaching people that you, ha- you can have direct access to God. You don't have to go through a man, right? Here's God in the flesh showing up. So somehow... There's got to be a balance of that. You and I are never going to outgive God. So, you know, whatever we bring, whether it's our tithes, our offerings, or even something beyond that, uh, we're never going to outgive God. But the motive of the heart to understand why we're doing that and what He's worthy of. And so somehow, and you see this, His Majesty has been gold, His deity, he talks about the two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both sides. So they, I, I think I've brought this up before, but they carried all these pieces of furniture on staves. So they would lift those, take those through the loops. They had to be borne on their shoulders, all the pieces of the furniture. They couldn't be handled. They were supposed to be carried by men. They were not uh, to be rolled on a cart. That, that's why Uzzah, Uzzah, got in trouble and died because the problem was his heart was right. You know, he's trying to steady the ark. Don't want it to fall off the cart. Right. 
And, and let me just say a word about that because this is how people get crossways with God. The priest knew, I don't know if David knew, maybe David knew, he sh- maybe should have known, but the priest was responsible when David said, let's get the, car- let's get the ark home. The priest should have said, hey, okay, we'll get it home, but we have to do this, this, and this. They should have carried that ark like God commanded them to. So the problem was they disregarded God's word back here. And when they got to here and the cart was going in an unsteady place and the ark appeared to be fallen, Uzzah, who was not allowed to touch, you know, they weren't allowed to touch the ark, reached out. In good, in good faith, right? He, was, he wasn't trying to do anything wrong. And he reached out and touched it and then he died because he was not allowed to touch it. There on the spot. Tore David up. He's frustrated. The priest had dropped the ball. But that represents our lives too. I think a lot of people want to disregard God back here in the little things. And then when they get out here and things don't go the way they should. Well, I love God and I'm just trying to help. Yeah, but you turned a deaf ear back here. And anytime we this came out yesterday in our men's study. Anytime we turn a deaf ear to God, we're going we're gonna to suffer for it. If we disregard God and just think, well, I'm here now, buddy. Let me show you what I can do. No, you've got to obey. I don't care how talented we think we are. There are no good Christians who don't obey God. That's where Christianity starts. And a lot of times people... People want to be used in the big stuff, but they don't want to be faithful in the little stuff. Right? And that's, I mean, I heard uh, uh, John Hagee say this. He said uh, some guy come in his office and said he didn't believe in tithing. And, and John Hagee said, well, the Bible says you're a thief and a robber if you don't do that. And said, I don't close my eyes when there's a thief in the room, he said. So you can't just disregard disregard God's commandments and get out here and say, well, I was just trying to do the right thing. But if you disregard Him back here, that's going to come back to bite any of us. You, me, whoever. And that's kind of what happened. So that's why they put these rings on there because God gave them specific instructions of how to carry this furniture from place to place as they move through. So David's heart was right. Uzzah's heart was right, but they weren't obeying. They were not obeying. You you and I don't get high marks from God if we just disregard what He says. Well, I still love God and I was just trying to help. Yeah, but you didn't do it the way, or I didn't do it the way He said to do it. We don't get to freelance. We don't get to make our own rules up for Christianity. They've already been laid out for us. We don't get to play by our own rules. Well, I just felt, well, you don't get to feel nothing. You get to hear what the Lord says and follow that. I'm talking to myself too. We've all gotten in trouble for that because we just felt something. Well, we don't get to just disregard God's Word because you and I feel something. It all starts with God's Word. The Bible says, heaven and earth will pass away. Think about that. That's probably one of the strongest statements in the Bible. He says it in Isaiah, then he restates it again in Peter. So both Testaments have it. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will stand forever. Someday, if time lasts, there won't be a Matthew Robbins or 
It won't be the same guy as me standing in the pulpit proclaiming God's word. Somebody else will do it. They, it'll be go. My time will come to a close. I'll leave here. God will take me to heaven, whatever. <clears throat> but what will stand is the word of God. That's what will stand. My testimony <clears throat> for the circle of people I have, yeah. But what's more important than my testimony or yours? It's God's word. If you want to do your grandchildren a service, give them God's word. You can give them other things, but make sure that you're giving them God's word. That's the greatest thing we have to offer. So he says, you're going to put that there. That's how you care. You shall place them on his two sides of a bear that will be holders for the poles on which to bear it. You shall make the poles of a case you would overlay them with gold. You shall put it before the, the veil the, that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat and, and over the testimony where I will meet you. Do we have a... We have a um, Picture of that still loaded, the 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 tabernacle, not the prayer journey, but we have something that shows. A, well, you could put that up; that'd be fine. It's probably got. If we don't have something different, Aaron shall burn uh, burn on it sweet incense every morning and ten, and tends the lamps. He shall burn incense on it, and when Aaron uh, lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it. Let's see. That's the ark. Boy, we got the. Just go ahead and put my prayer journey up. I might be able to work with that. Uh, you shall not offer strange incense on it. Now, <clears throat> so this is what we're talking about, this altar of incense. You can see those staves and where the rings would be. <clears throat> and he says don't, they don't offer strange fire in there or incense. God gave them an order. You remember Nadab and Abihu? <clears throat> they got in trouble. They got killed. God killed them on the temple steps. Same principle as we were talking about earlier. God killed them outside the temple because they brought, the Bible says they brought strange fire. Now, when you, when you think about that, from us, from a natural standpoint, fire is fire, right? I mean, once it's up and rolling, fire is fire. But the process of how you went about Creating the fire was what God was in, uh, stressing to them. So they didn't do it right, even though the fire became, it was strange fire, and they died. Again, once again, just disregarding what God had said. So that's what ticked Cain off. Cain, whatever he did, and everybody says what the preacher thinks, <clears throat> probably what happened was, by that time, we know that blood sacrifice was already in place because Adam and Eve had sinned and God had taken the, the skins of the animals and made sacrifice. So Cain was the keeper of the ground and, and Abel was keeping the sheep. So probably what Cain was supposed to do before he went before the Lord was take some of his apples or whatever he was dealing with and traded them to Abel for a sheep so he could go before God and offer what God had asked him. <clears throat> so he comes before God and he don't bring a sacrifice that's acceptable. And so God rejects it. And he gets mad and takes it out on Abel, right? But that's an attitude, especially in our world today. Well, here's what I got, God. Just You ought to be happy with what? No. You bring God what he asked for. You don't get, we don't get to just make our rules up. So Cain should have bartered with Abel and said, I need a sheep, I need to go talk to the Lord and appear before the Lord. And Abel, I'm sure, was a man of faith, would have bartered with him, right? I mean, that's how... So whatever he did, 
he come with a nonchalant attitude like, this is what I got, God. Have that. If you don't like it, well, God didn't like it. So the same problem occurred there as it did with Uzzah. Or use it. So here they, we're talking about this piece of furniture and it's set outside the veil. So it's the last piece of furniture before you go behind the veil in the tabernacle. And this was where God's presence was manifested. Now, I've talked about this a lot. Let me show you this on the board and then we'll go back to that chart in a minute. Uh, we, the, here's what uh, a lot of Christians and churches don't understand. God is omnipresent. It means God's everywhere all the time. He sees everything. And we saw that last night in Job, right? Because he said, I'm watching the goat give birth. I'm watching the bear give birth. The lion, I'm feeding the, I'm feeding the lions. God said all that in that Job last night. Then what churches, a lot of, and Christians, the manifested presence of God. So back on this church, ta uh, tabernacle, that's what this represented. This is where God would manifest himself. God sees everything all the time. But what we need in our lives is we need God to manifest himself in our lives. And one of the ways that's happened to me over the years in a lot of different ways, but one of the ways it's been a blessing to me and my wife is that God would manifest himself sometimes to me in my home to help me raise my children. I can remember several times over the years, which they're all grown now, but I can remember several times just feeling like I walked right into a brick wall and the Holy Spirit was standing there and He alerted to me to something of how the enemy was trying to come in on one of my children. And that enabled me to get in front of it and deal with it before the devil got in. And I could tell it, you know, because when you set your child down and say, the Holy Spirit's speaking to me and this is what He's saying to me, and the blood runs out of their face down to their toes. <laughs> but it was a great benefit to me for the Holy Spirit. See, we got to get out of this mentality that I'm going to have a good time with God at church. Do you know you can have a good time with God at your house on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday? A lot of church folks just live for that moment. You should be interacting with the Holy Spirit seven days a week. He's there. He's, he's available to us. He's inside of us. That's the beauty of the new covenant. So uh, you can have just as much fun with the Holy Spirit on Tuesday as you can Sunday. I mean, many of you found that reality out, right? He's as real on Monday as he is on Sunday. And, and so a lot of people, it's like uh, they don't enjoy the process of have, living with God. It's like... And that's what makes religious Pharisees out of us. I went to church today and I didn't get nothing out of it. Well, you ain't been listening to the Holy Spirit all week long. Why would He speak to you now? What does He owe you? You neglected Him for six days and then you want church to go your way. I'm just being real. You want to do your own thing all week long? And then, I'm here now, God. That's the attitude Cain had. I'm here now, God. Show up and do for me. I'll give you an hour and a half, but the other six days, I'm going to do my own thing. And I'm not even talking about sin. I'm just talking about neglect. Because that's what the Bible teaches in Hebrews. And, and, I describe, and that, that should took a load off of us. Because if you read Hebrews, it says, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's, that's a not the best word in English because that word in English makes us sound like we need to be standing in front of God 24 hours a day, right? That's not what he's saying. 
God knows you have a family. He gave you those families. He knows you have to work. He knows you have to sleep. He knows you have to sit down and eat. You shouldn't eat without thanking God for the blessings, but He knows all that. It's not, God's not saying you stand right here and be in front of me constantly and don't you ever watch a ball game or don't you ever uh, go out to eat with anybody. You just stay here. That's not what He's saying. He, that word means people who won't neglect Him. And that takes a load off our shoulders because God's not trying to make us all, and this is probably a bad way to say this, but just so we can get this concept in our mind. God's not trying to make us all nuns or monks. And I respect those that have heard the call and that's what God's called them to do. I'm not, I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I, I go to Bargetown and hang out with them sometimes. But the, the, the thing about it is it's somebody who won't neglect God. And so it's like the person that won't eat right or exercise and then they get mad because they do it once a month. And they don't get any results out of it. I've been there. I've been one of those people. Right? But that's how our relationship is. You should be enjoying God Monday through Saturday just like you would on Sunday. That's how real He is. That's how personal. That's what happened after the cross. That relationship got so good for us that we could have the same kind of interaction with the Holy Spirit at home as they did behind the veil, right? As you, that manifested presence that we need more than God. God wants us to have more than just He's overseeing everything. He wants us to have His manifested presence, right? Yesterday morning, I got up, my wife and I, we were discussing the, whole, the Lord and some stuff about the Holy Spirit. And she said something. And as soon as she said it, I said, oh my God. Goodness, that's the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to us this morning. And that's beautiful. I love it. My wife and I had a situation with one of our children that was not going to wind up good. It wasn't bad yet, but we saw, we saw it's, like, it's like you're in a canoe without a paddle. Uh, without a paddle. I said the bicycle instead. <laughs> without a paddle. And the waterfall is coming. And you're like, how do I get out of this, right? And so uh, we saw that coming. And so she and I agreed to fast. Because if I'd have got involved in that, in the situation that we were alerted to by the Holy Spirit, I'd have probably been on the front page of the newspaper. And it probably wouldn't have been good what they would have been saying about me. And I wasn't going to whoop nobody. That's not what I'm talking about. But I would have taken a stand that the world would not have liked, right? Kind of like I'm doing now with Israel. So we'll see how that plays out over time. But um, <clears throat> we fasted for three days as a couple. And our, our child come in one day and severed all that without us having to step into that moment. The Lord just take care. So there is so much benefit from you and I recognizing God's voice, His presence, Monday through Sunday, the whole week. And he's out there. He's available. And he's willing to manifest himself. It says, uh, and so let me go back to Exodus here. Aaron's going to burn this incense. It's going to be a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You're not going to offer strange incense or, burn, uh, or a burnt offering or a grain offering. Nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon the horns once a year. of The blood sin offering of atonement. Once a year he make atonement upon it throughout uh, the generations 
uh, it's most holy to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when you take the census of the children of Israel for their number and every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord, you shall number them that they may be, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. There, uh, this is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. So this is an offering. They were to bring offering. The males had to come before the Lord three times a year. And they couldn't come empty handed. They had to bring an offering. Right? We're, the church has kind of got uh, on the defense about, about money. We shouldn't be on the defense. It's all God's. It all belongs to Him. Whatever you have. God didn't just give you 10% of that. He gave you the whole thing. He just asked for 10% of it back. And so it's all His. Everything we have is His. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above will give an offering to the Lord. So the 20-year-olds better be getting to work, right? You can't stay at home. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less because God's fair, right? His, his system set up fair. And half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves, you shall take an atonement money for the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. So they were bringing these offerings in. And then he talks about the bronze labor. And then we'll come back to the incense before we close. Then I want to take you to the New Testament. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, You shall also make a labor of bronze with its base also bronze for washing. You should put it between the tabernacle of the meeting of the altar, and you should put the water in it. And Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet in the water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, when they come near to the altar of the minister to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. So they wash their hands and their feet lest they die. And it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. Shoot that back up here, that tabernacle. Let me show you this. This is what he's talking about here, the laver. On this labor, it's back there somewhere. There. Maybe. There. So you see down here is where they wash their feet. There would be water here, be water up here. So you probably remember me saying this. They took the women's mirrors. And that was a sacrifice for a woman, right, to give up her mirror. Right? Uh Although it'd be the same thing for men today. Have you ever been to one of these workout places and watched the men? Yeah, they, they're obsessed with some things. Uh, so they, the bottom of this was lined with the mirror. So when the priest would come over and the water, just the water was in there, he could look down and see his own reflection, right? He could see himself through the water. Uh, and then he would wash his hands in the top portion and his feet in the bottom portion because... That was the only thing that was exposed other than his face uh, was his hands and his feet. And so he, once he washed his hands, the blood would fill the, the basin and he could no longer see himself. All he could see is the blood. That's salvation. When God looks down here at us, it's no longer us he sees because we've accepted Jesus. He sees us clothed in his son. And that's the beauty of salvation. So these pieces of furniture we're talking about here, this and this, <clears throat> as we... And then he talks about the anointing oil. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses in verse 22, saying, Also take for yourselves quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, a hint of olive oil, 
You shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an anointment, an ointment compound according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of testimony and the table of all its utensils, the lampstand, the utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offerings with its utensils, the laver and its base. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. So this anointing oil was used to anoint and separate them. You shall speak to the children of Israel saying, they shall be holy anointing oil. Uh, this shall be a holy anointing me throughout your generations. It shall be poured on man's flesh. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy. It shall be holy to you. Whoever co compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. So God asks us to reserve certain things for him, don't he? Look at that in the spiritual realm. The Bible wants our mind to be given to the Lord. He wants our bodies as a living sacrifice. They available to the Lord. And so <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, take sweet uh, spices um, and stack an onicha and, and uh, galbanum and, and pure frankincense with these sweet spices. There shall be equal amounts of each. You shall make of these uh, an incense of compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle meeting there I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not uh, make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. So once you give it to the Lord, you leave it there, right? We've all heard of people getting mad at a church and taking what they gave out of it, right? Uh my question would be, who'd you give that to? Did you give it to the Lord? Or did you give it to some ministry? I've had this ask over, you know, people will donate to a ministry and then that ministry will wind up getting in trouble and they get mad about it. And my question is, who'd you give it to? Was you giving it in good faith to the Lord? Then they'll have to answer for that. You can't get mad about that. If you read the Bible from uh, the very first thing, the garden... All the way through the New Testament. Men fall. They're flawed. But your heart has to be right. Who, who are you giving it to? Right? Who'd you do that for? When I, when I first started pastoring 30 some years ago. Uh, my first church. Uh, you've heard me joke about this a little bit. Not everybody was happy with a new sheriff in town. So we went from 26 to 12 the first week. <laughs> we went backwards. But uh, <clears throat> over time, uh, I went up, and you all know how I feel about calling church off. I just don't do it. If it snows, what I tell people, if it's bad weather, if you would go to work, then come to church. If you wouldn't go to work, then stay on. That's up to you. Nobody's put pressure on them, but I'll be here, right? This, this area here is totally different from how I grew up. If you go off the road here, you'll be in a cow pasture. If you go off the road where I'm from, you're gone. So, so it's a little different road structure, right? So I, don't, I just don't call off church. So I got to church, and I, it snowed, and I cleaned all the steps off and got everything ready and got there, and 
Nobody's coming. Nobody came. Nobody came that Wednesday night. It was a bad, pretty bad snow, but nobody came. And I was disappointed and frustrated because nobody showed. It was just me and God. And I got over to the window, and this church actually sat on a creek, and I was looking at the creek, and I was frustrated and and because I'd come up there and got everything ready and clean. And the Lord, I was over there getting ready to complain, and the Lord spoke to me. And he asked me that. He said, who'd you do that for? He said, you do it for them, or did you do it for me? Why are you here? And it changed, that was early on in ministry, so it changed my whole perspective about why I do what I do. I love you all. And I care about you. That's why I tell you the truth. But I ain't doing this for you all. I'm doing it for him. Uh, I wouldn't be doing this if I was just doing it for you all. There's too much responsibility. There's too much to answer for. Uh, but I'm doing it for him. And uh, that's my approach. And that changed my perspective. What did he do? When he challenged me, when the Holy Spirit spoke that to me, he, done, he cleaned me up. It cleansed me. Because it done what? It kept me from being offended. Right? I, would, I could have got offended. Well, they don't care what I do. How come they don't? You know, you could go through that whole gamut. But when the Holy Spirit challenged me and said, who'd you do that for? He was going right to my motives, wasn't he? Right to my motives. Listen. And then shortly after that, he took me to some scripture where David's coming back into town. Oh, we get all worked up. Somebody talks about us or somebody don't do what we want them to do. Dave was coming into town and some guy, is it Doag, was on the hill there cursing him. And David's right-hand man said, hey, he can't do the king that way. Let me go up there and take his head off. Right? And David said, no, let him do it. He said he couldn't do it if God didn't allow it. See, and that's where we get worked up. Listen, and this is a hard word, but I'm going to say it because I've said it for years. You can't have it both ways. You can't blame your life on that person or that situation and then turn around over here and say God's in charge. Either God's in charge or that person's in charge of your life. Can't have it both ways. Nothing can happen in your life. If you're a true believer and follower of God, follower of God, nothing can happen in your life that God don't allow. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, God controls my life and then blame this on whoever or whatever. And I love that David understands that God's in control. Ain't nothing happening that he's not allowing and that he's not watching over. So you can't, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, I believe God's all-powerful and he can take me to where I need to be and then say, but my wife, if I didn't have this woman... You can't have it both ways. Either God is in control or somebody else. And so we know who's in control. See that, what, if you'll see that from what I'm trying to get across here, when the Holy Spirit challenged me on that, He cleansed me inside and kept me from being offended and hurt. Oh, the, it was a rebuke. That's what it was. It was a rebuke. When the Holy Spirit said, who'd you do that for? He challenged the very core of my motive. But it kept me from saying, I, I, I was either going to have to be religious, right, or be real. He put me on the spot. 
But it helped me for the rest, all the way to the day. Because that's one of the things my wife and I have always practiced and said. We cannot be offended. There's going to be so many chances to be offended. We cannot live there. Right? And so because of, of, our, of being in this position, there's just constantly challenges to not to be offended. And so the Lord put me on the spot. He was rebuking me. But that rebuke cleaned me up inside and caused me to say, ah, <laughs> I better be doing this stuff for you. And that way I won't be offended and I won't be getting upset with people, right? One of my elders one time <clears throat> challenged me the same way. I was young and I was trying to grow and uh, somebody was attacking me and I had my elder, and he said, you're taking that personal, aren't you? And it was a rebuke, right? It was a good rebuke, though. And that helped me, right? I'm glad I was, the Lord was rebuking me a lot when I was young, you know, getting me ready. Because there's been plenty of chances, right? He said, you're taking that personal. He said, you got to remember, the Lord said if they did him that way, they're going to do us this way. So you got, you cannot, he said, you cannot... And this was a, a guy who never graduated from school. Who couldn't hardly read or write until he got saved. And then the Lord, I mean, but he had such wisdom. You know, the reason he had wisdom? Because he'd go in the, he's the one who taught me how to pray. He, he would, this is a guy who didn't even finish high school, but he took me in the mountains regularly and taught me, how, helped to train me how to pray because he'd spend two hours at a time in the mountains when he got home from the mines praying. He was a praying man. And he challenged me on that. He said, you're taking that personal. He said, you can't do that. If you're going to be in your position, you can't take stuff personal. You've got to let it roll off and realize that the one you're serving, that's how they treated him. And worse, right? I mean, they, they did Jesus that way and worse. So when you get rebuked, don't get upset about it. Let it cleanse you. Let it help you. The Holy Spirit. And, and you won't have to get rebuked by people if you'll just let the Lord do it. Get in your prayer closet. Let God fix you. You know, let him do all that stuff. He's, he's good about it. Sometimes, you know, one time the Holy Spirit did. The other time my elder did it. Now let me, um, let me take you, uh, what verse are we in here? Verse 38. He says, uh, whatever makes any like it, the smell it should be cut off from his people. So that, that God wanted certain things reserved for him. That's the same thing we should do. We should reserve some things for the Lord. Let's turn to Psalm 141 before we go to the New Testament. Let me show you something about this incense because this incense is, has a lesson to us of the, what it represents. In Psalm 141, verse 1 and 2, he says, Lord, I cry out to you, make haste to me. This is a Psalm of David. Give ear to my voice when I cry to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So they were practicing being worshipers. And he said, that incense that's constantly burning in front of you. That's a sweet smell and savor. Let, let my prayer be that way. Turn to Malachi or if you're Italian, Malachi. The last book in the Old Testament. Let me show you something here. In chapter 1 in Malachi. Malachi 1 verse 11. Look at what he says here. Malachi 1, 
Malachi verse one, chapter 1, verse 11. This is a powerful thought for us as Gentiles. From the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name. A pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So our prayers are the incense, our worship. That is the sweet smell. That's the incense. That's what's pure to God when we worship Him, when we honor Him, when we pray to Him. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 1, because this is something we see with uh, John the Baptist's father. Uh, he's, get, he's, he's part of the priesthood. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it talks about what his role was. It says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, the division of Abijah, his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So that's in the priesthood, the line, the whole family. And they were both righteous before God, according to the uh, walking, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. So it was while he was serving as a priest, he's in the priesthood, before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense. So he would have been keeping that incense on that altar, on that piece of furniture we saw. He would be, this would have been John the Baptist's father's job at this time, doing that when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. So they had moments, times when all these were attended to, the different pieces of furniture. They also had three shifts. They had to stay around because that stuff had to be burning. The lamp, the menorah couldn't go out. So there was a three-shift job. These priests were working around the clock, making sacrifices, getting bloody, all this stuff going on. This was a job. And so uh, if you remember, there's a psalm that says, those who stand in the house of the Lord by night. So there was priests working in and out of that temple 24 hours a day keeping that stuff rolling and up before God. And uh, I think I read where there's a priest with a gouge, and he would, his job was to make sure everybody stayed awake while they were inside if they had downtime. Uh, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So this is where this angel came. Uh, and, the, and when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. And that's when he got the word, right? That they were going to have a child. So John the Baptist. So, now let's go to the last book of the, the Bible. Revelation. Let me show you. It's talked about here as well. So there's, there's a great significance about our incense. <clears throat> and I'm going to finish with that. Before I, as I come to a close here. In Revelation chapter 5. Verse 8. Let me show you something here he says. And then we'll go to chapter 8. It says now he had taken the scroll. And the four living creatures. And the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. So now we got a clear revelation of this new covenant that our prayers are the incense, is, is the incense that God's looking for. Now, I'm going to say something in a minute. It'll be good for all of us. But look at chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. When he, when he opened his seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw 
the seven angels who stand before God. And to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the, with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So I believe when we get to heaven, we'll see, still see this furniture and we'll see this activity around God's house and throne. It's, it's going to be a forever thing. Because Moses was told to make that. And go ahead and shoot that tabernacle back up there real quick. Moses was told to make that according to the pattern in heaven. So, of course, you can see how it's laid out in the cross. We've talked about all that. So I think those will be memorials and reminders for us. Because even in the millennial kingdom, the nations on the Feast of Tabernacle are going to have to bring up sacrifices and honor God. So here's what I will say to you. Our prayers are equated now in the new covenant. Our prayers are equated as incense. That's how God views that. Your prayer, my prayer. Here's the question. Can God count on you to keep the incense burning? Or are you going to take some days off from praying? That's the reality for the New Testament. How do we keep our incense burning? By having a prayer life. Do you just pray when you feel like it? Do you just pray when something tough's going on? Or can God count on you to keep that incense burning regularly? That's the story we need to learn. Because that's what it says to us in the New Testament. Do you just pray when you feel like it? Do you just pray when you feel like there's emergency? Or do you have incense burning before the Lord daily? That's the challenge for us. We don't have to keep a, an altar going in the natural sense. But are you spending regular moments with God to where that incense is rising up before Him? That's what it says to us. Lord, we thank You for this time. Thank You for Your Word. I pray, Lord, that as this Word goes out, because I, I am blessed with so many people in these groups, in this ministry that are faithful. But I know, Lord, we live in a time where a lot of Christians have walked away from the church. They've become prodigals. Uh, a lot of churches struggle. Some have lost their way. And some have even given up and closed their, closed their doors. And we just, I just pray that this word will go out and challenge people who name the name of Christ. Lord, to be faithful. To not turn a deaf ear to your word and to what you're saying and to be people who have constant communication with you. People who keep the altar of incense burning. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.